I'll let you be seated for a second. And uh, then we're going to get into a, a few, few places in the Bible that I want to look at. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of John chapter 19? Uh, we were in the office uh, right before we walk in the platform gathering all of those that would be singing and playing today. And uh, we got to talking and, and, you know, it's just one of those weird uh, years. I, I, it's been decades since this has happened, but uh, Easter will fall on April Fool's Day. And so there's been a few uh, jokes made here and there about how do you handle that on April Fool's. And I don't remember who it was. It may have been Brother uh, Justin Metter. He said that that uh, I should just decide to preach on like Christmas or something on Easter. You know, just preach on the, the birth of Jesus and just mess everybody up. And uh, I don't know. I, I'm working on an Easter sermon right now. But I would like to take you to part of the Easter story today in the book of John chapter 19. And then we're going to uh, uh, kind of break it down. The Bible says, then this, this is verse 23, John 19. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart. And also his coat, now his coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it or tear it, but let's cast lots for it, who it shall be. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots, these things. Therefore, the soldiers did. This is where I want you to pay close attention. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw, therefore, his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. Have you ever went to bed or woke up and had a song in your mind? For some of us, and myself included, that song is an aggravating song that you wish you could just turn it off because it just keeps going over and over and it just, you know, you just cannot get it out of your head. You do everything you can. But I like it when a song from the Lord slips in. And uh, I don't know what kind of songs uh, you, you, you wake up to or you go to bed to, but last night I had a song that no matter where I, as I was you know, trying to drift off to sleep, no matter what my brain was thinking about, the soundtrack of this song was playing. How many of you remember this old song? Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain Free to all A healing stream Flows from Calvary's mountain Anybody ever heard that old hymn? Do you know the next part? In the cross, sing with me In the cross be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the rift. I like that. Sing it again. In the cross. In the cross be my glory 
ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. One of the tragedies perhaps of that song is that we tend to sing it only at funerals. Now, there are times, if you look back, you would see at the end it says, Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach that golden strand just beyond the river. And it is, it is an incredible, beautiful song. And at the end of a life that was lived for the cause of Christ, I think it's a fitting song. But can I tell you today that just knowing in the cross, near the cross, whatever you want to look at it, is not just something you should sing at the end of your life. It should be something that you live every day of your life. I'm not talking about a a physical uh, 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 distance, if you will, from an old rugged tree. We don't have the cross today. You're not, I'm not expecting you to pick up the cross uh, physically and carry it around and stick it in your cubicle at work. But there has to be, in the life of you and I, there has to be an understanding that, Lord, through every day that I live, keep me near the cross. Don't let the understanding of what that cross represents fade from my memory. Don't let me go a day without realizing I am here because of what you did on the cross. It doesn't matter if you've been saved today or if you've been saved 90 years. The cross still matters the, 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 the verses of that another one says near the cross a trembling soul love and mercy found me there the bright and morning star shed its beams around me I, I, I was privileged and I count that as a privilege it's part of the testimony of Brandon Paul Buford and part of that testimony is that I received the Holy Ghost at 8 years old and was baptized in that same year that God has kept me from some things I was privileged and, and blessed to be raised in a family that taught me how to worship and taught me how to live for God some of you your story's a bit different for some of you you didn't have a godly family that ushered you into his presence but Somewhere along the line, you found God on your own and you knelt down at an altar. And it doesn't matter if it happens when you're a child or if it happens when you're a young adult or if it happens at the end of your life, the cost of Christ and, and, the, and the cost of the sacrifice that he did still matters. In fact, today uh, after service, we, we, uh, uh, I came to church yesterday and we had a, a leak in the baptismal. I had to empty it before we had a, a issue and uh, but but little Shaylin wants to be baptized I think she's seven I believe is how old Shaylin is she's seven years old and uh, last week she came up to me and she said I want to be baptized I've been thinking about it I've been praying about it I want to be baptized that is a uh, the reason seven year olds can make that decision is because of the Sunday school teacher and jam workers and children's church workers and parents and grandparents in this church that can lead them to make a decision but when we baptize her so what we're going to have to do is the Lowe's and us we're going to go over to Brother uh, McCarty's church in, in uh, Wentzfield and we're going to use their baptistry this afternoon And uh, but the reason we can do that is because there was blood that was shed on Calvary. 
The reason you can repent of your sins, those, those things that have held you captive for so long, and the, the, the reason that you can be forgiven of those sins is what happened on the cross, near the cross. Thank you, praise team, for that last song. God has the final say. I'm glad I have a refuge I can run to. In life, whether I was a sinner, there was a refuge that I could go to. When I'm a saint, there's still a refuge I can go to. And that refuge is the cross. I, I hear the song, and, and it's a song I remember as a child, and I know many of you do, but uh, the Psalms chapter 57 and verse 1 says, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make thy, my refuge until these calamities be over past. Now, maybe you haven't thought of it in that verse, but I'm sure you've thought of it in that song. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast and let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Now, we all have these little phrases that we use in our, our, our vernacular and we would talk about, I want to be in the hand of God. I want to be near to God. But I was thinking and reading and I began to realize that there was something we have. Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hope or to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Of course, the book of Revelation or book of Hebrews is all about the, the what Jesus has done in the life of you and I. That because he died on the cross and he became that supreme sacrifice, we now have a salvation that is eternal rather than just seemingly temporary. I want to be near the cross. To, to use that phrase near the cross is kind of hard when you don't have a cross to get close to per se. Again, I don't expect any of you carrying your cross. It'd be a little weird if all of a sudden everybody gathered up and just huddled around that black cross back there. and That's not what it means. And so for the next little bit, I want to tell you what being near the cross means. The best way to do that is to Look at those who witnessed Jesus' crucifixion. Join with me back 2,000-something years ago around three rugged crosses on the top of Golgotha's hill and a ruly crowd and a curious crowd, some hoping he died an agonizing death, other was just there for the morbid curiosity. But you find that there are several that are mentioned or at least called out there were four Roman soldiers they're the ones that parted his, his garments and they, they tore one of his garments in four pieces so they could each have a, a spoil of this day the, 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 the vesture the, the robe if you will or the, or the over tunic that didn't have any seams that had been woven uh, they didn't want to tear it so because of that they, they, they rolled some dice if you will for it but they were there out of duty they had to be there. I'm sure, to be honest, there was a lot of things they would have rather been than at the foot of an old rugged cross on the top of a dusty hill where it was loud and blood was pouring out. I'm sure that they were just passing the time until their shift was over. But the Bible 
mentions five women and one man in particular. It mentions Mary, the mother of Jesus. Salome, his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Cleopas. Mary Magdalene. And John, the disciple. Now, just for the focus, because to be honest, I don't know much about Mary, the wife of Cleopas. I've, I've looked and other commentators have looked. There's not a lot said about them. But for those other four, there's a lot that we can find and a lot that we can, we can uh, pull from. And, and as I begin to look at that, I, I begin to realize that perhaps in the lives of those that were around the cross, we can find the answer to what it means to be near the cross. First, let me take you to the book of Luke chapter 8. Would you turn there with me? In the book of Luke chapter 8, it's just a, a phrase or two, but it doesn't take much to pull it out. It's interesting how you, you look at that. Look at chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon after, he went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And 12 were with him, and also some of the women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who had provided for them out of their means. It's interesting, if I told you, tell me about Mary Magdalene, those of you that understand your scripture, you, you would pull, you find that most of the phrasing and most of the understanding of Mary Magdalene comes at the end of the Gospels. She was there at the cross. She was there at the tomb. She was the first one that saw the resurrected Jesus. She saw all of that. But Luke chapter 8 and verse 2 tells us her history. There's not much that we, that we find. We don't know how long. We don't know what happened. We don't know how she acted. But the Bible says she was a woman who had been in bondage by Satan for a long time. Seven demons, the Bible is very specific to talk about. I, I can only speculate, I can only imagine what it would have been like to live with that. Other places in the Gospels, you find how living under that demonic oppression affected other people. You can find how there was a boy that would throw himself in the fire when the spirits would lay hold on him. Others, you can find that it would affect them. And I can only imagine that in the life of Mary Magdalene, her life was havoc. It wrecked her physically, it wrecked her emotionally, it wrecked her spiritually and, and just for, for you and I to comprehend, Mary was in a hopeless situation. And then somewhere, along walks Jesus. I don't know how he said it. I don't know if he put his hands on her. I don't know if he spoke to her. The Bible doesn't say. But what I do know is that Jesus came along, along and delivered Mary from her bondage of sin and Satan. She was redeemed. Now we know there's no levels to, to sin. We understand that. At least I hope you do. You can't say someone's a worse sinner than someone else because all have sinned. But I, I, in my own human limitations, I kind of think if you're demonic possessed, you're a pretty bad sinner. But yet God reached down into her life and she was delivered. Acts 26, 18 says that he opened their eyes and turned them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sin. Mary was set free. 
all the songs we sing about out of darkness into his marvelous light. She was free. She was set free. She was free mentally. She was free morally. She was free spiritually. She was free uh, physically. She had guilt and shame and 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 I'm, I'm sure there were times she didn't want to show her face but God forgave her and now she stands at the cross. I wonder if her standing at the cross made her realize the cost of what God had done in her life. She had heard the preaching of Jesus. She had followed Jesus. She was there. You you don't just show up at the cross and the burial and the resurrection unless you've been affected by the one they called Jesus. She was there. And it's no wonder standing at the cross while the other disciples were out doing whatever they were doing, perhaps it was because she realized what God had saved her from. You cannot be saved without the cross. You cannot be redeemed without the blood that was shed on Calvary. And so we understand that. But I would like to tell you that once you've been saved, once you've been set free, you need to find yourself at the cross over and over again so that you can remember what God had to do to pull you out of that miry, mucky sin that you were in. You need to come to church on a Sunday morning. And yes, I want you to raise your hands. I want you to shout. I want you to sing. I want you to clap. But I want you to remember how far God has brought you from and I want you to get in your mind that if he died on the cross for me I'm never going back for some reason we have 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 romanticized some sins but Mary would tell you I don't ever want to go back to that possession There's others that for some reason they like to go back in their sin maybe because it doesn't seem as bad as being demonic possessed but Mary would tell you I've got to come to the foot of the cross because I've got to remember I'm redeemed. I've been set free. I've been released from my chains. I've been released from my bondage and I want to remember the cross. That's one way you're near the cross. The cross reminds us of the sacrifice, it reminds us of the redemption. The second lady that was there at the cross that we're going to talk about, her name was Salome. Most people would say this was Mary's, the mother of Jesus, this was Mary's sister. She was Salome, the wife of Zebedee. You know that as the mother and the father of James and John, other disciples there. But let me take you... uh, uh, to another place. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 20? Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Again, I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said, I want you to say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom. All of us as parents, we've been guilty of thinking that our children are all that in a bag of chips. We've all had that issue. Uh, my, my kids are all in Sunday school right now, except Zeke, and he's probably asleep. But, you know, I can tell you that Zane. 
Zane's had some issues in his life. I understand. I feel sorry for some of the babysitters that had to babysit him. You know, and, and Zoe, she, she's a handful at times, but Zeke, he's perfect. He's so awesome. You know, that's how it is, right? You, you give your kids to your grandparents and they find no fault in them. We're all guilty of thinking our kids are, are something that perhaps are not. And it's amazing that Salome was the same way. Salome came to Jesus. Her two sons are disciples of Jesus. She said, Jesus, I got, I got a, priv- a question to ask you. Would you let my, my sons have the highest honor? Let them sit on your right hand and your left hand. Let them, let them be special. They're, they're better than all the other disciples. And, and she began to ask that. And perhaps it was a, a, a proper thing. Maybe she, didn't, she, she wasn't trying to ask it in a bad way. But it still is a pretty interesting question. Jesus answered and says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, this is James and John. Now they're getting on board. We are able. He said, well, you'll drink of my cup, but the sin at the right hand and the left is not mine to grant, but it's for those from whom it's been prepared by my father. The ten heard it. They were indignant at the two brothers. Of course, that caused a lot of chaos too. But I find it interesting that the woman who asked, can my kids have a high place in your kingdom? She has to stand there at the throne or at the cross. And I wonder if she remembered the words that Jesus had said, can they drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Thrones aren't something you just give away like candy. Thrones are usually some sort of a reward. Jesus was teaching you don't wear the crown without drinking the cup of suffering. The Lord showed us that you don't ascend to the throne unless you first carried a cross. Salome, I think, as she stood there watching him bleed, I wonder if she began to realize how selfish that request must have been. How selfish it must have been to ask the king of all creation something that really didn't Sometimes when I kneel down to pray or I get into the presence of God, I hear myself asking those selfish desires. I hear myself putting me first. God, do this. Lord, grant this. And then the fog shifts. And I see a crimson stream of blood. And I realize, why? I realize that the things that I think matter in this life pale when I watch what he did on the cross. If you stand at the cross, I wonder if you are rebuked of your selfish desires. I wonder if as you look at the cross and you realize the blood that was stained, do you hear him say, seek first the kingdom of God, then all of these other things shall be added to you. When I stand near the cross, I hear the words of John the Baptist, I must decrease so that he must increase. When you get near the cross, not only am I reminded of my redemption. This is key, and I want you to listen. Sometimes I'm reminded of the rebuke. 
Any of you ever have kids or, or, or God forbid you have friends or family and you have to rebuke them, you have to tell them they, they messed up, you have to tell them they did something wrong and they get all bent out of shape and they never talk to you again and they walk away and they say, you don't have any right to talk to me like that. How dare you tell me how to live my life? How dare you tell me what it all to be and you never see him again? But some of us do the same with God. We're okay as long as God is healing us. We're okay as long as God is touching us. We're okay as long as we can lift our hands and have a little bit. But God, don't get on me. Don't step on my toes. Don't tell me when I do wrong. Don't let your conscience speak to me. And we walk away, but Salome tells us that you got to go to the cross even when he's had to get on to you. And you walk to the cross and you hear the rebuke and you look at what he did and you say, this is a place. I put my selfishness down. I put my own desires down. I put my own ambitions down. I look at the redemption. I look at the rebuke. That third lady that was there that we know about, that we know stuff about, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary stood there at the foot of that cross with tears running down her face. She stood there at the foot of the cross watching her son die an agonizing death. Luke chapter 2 says a prophecy concerning Mary. Luke chapter 2 verse 35. A sword shall pierce your own soul also. There ain't a chance that Mary was unaffected around that cross. The child that she loved was there. The Savior that she brought into the world was there. But you have to understand the things that Mary endured. She suffered shame. You have to know gossip ran rampant when she showed up pregnant before an official wedding. You had to know that Joseph, he was, I mean, he had every right to have her put to death. Instead, he was going to just kind of hide her away and kind of forget about it. And the angel said, no, don't do that. Mary suffered that shame and that reproach. She fled to Egypt. But you know what? I have to think about this. The Bible says that, that after the birth of, of Jesus, when the wise men came, Herod you know, found out about it. And the Bible teaches us that Herod killed all of the male Jewish children that were two years and younger. Y'all remember that story? How would you like to know that all of your friends lost their two-year-old or younger son because of the son you hid in Egypt? I'm just making Mary pretty human. The guilt that she had to go when she shows up a couple years later and here comes Jesus tagging along as a little kid but she's got to walk into neighborhoods where entire generations of children were slaughtered. You have to imagine the pain and the anger she went through. About the time that she can't find her son she finds him at the temple and she says Jesus what are you doing it's time for you to come home and Jesus it seems gives her a flippant answer and says I'm about my father's business or the separation that begins to go as Jesus' ministry starts she stares at that cross I know he suffered more than we'll ever suffer but she stood there and she felt all of that pain and she felt all of that suffering and she was wondering, did I live my life in vain? Was it worth it to go through all of that if he's just going to die on the cross? But Jesus looks down at his earthly mother. Compassion is there. 
And he says, Mom, I love you. Mom, I've got to go to heaven. Mom, my time here is done. My time, we're going to have a different relationship. Go into the upper room. Hang, hang out there and I'll, you'll understand it. But I'm going to give you peace in your heart. And I'm going to heal your heart. And I'm going to, John, take care of my mother. Can I tell you today, for Mary to stand there at the cross was for Mary to understand that regardless of how much you've suffered, how much you've gone through things and trials for his sake, the Bible says this, if you suffer with him, you shall also reign with him. Mary stood there. It may not have all made sense at the moment, but as near as she was to the cross, it reminded her that not only is the cross an answer to your redemption, not only is the cross the answer to the rebuke that God has to give, but the answer of the cross to Mary is that if you'll stick with the cross, you shall be rewarded. Mary follows, she's there, she weeps, she mourns, but she's also there in the upper room when the Holy Ghost falls and she is filled with the Spirit of God. Her sins are washed away. I promise you Mary was one of those 3,000 that were baptized on the day of Pentecost and Mary would tell you today, as long as you're near the cross, you'll see the reward. The cross reminds me of the redemption the cross reminds me of the time that God has had to rebuke me in my sinful attitude. The cross reminds me there's a reward coming. But for John, the last one, there's one more thing. John is the only disciple we see that's at, around the cross. I'm sure the other ones were hiding, but he was there, close enough that Jesus could speak to him. Peter had denied the Lord. He's out weeping and feeling sorry for himself. Judas had denied, or Judas had betrayed the Lord, and he then felt guilty and went and hung himself. I don't know where the other ones were. I don't know where Andrew was or Thomas was. The Bible says nothing about them. All we know is that the Garden of Gethsemane, they scattered. I just wonder if John, kind of confident, John took off running too but then later you might found John going a little closer for John to stand at the cross wasn't easy for John to stand at the cross it, 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 I mean remember what Peter went through around the little campfire outside and that wasn't even people who mattered didn't you weren't you with Jesus Peter says, no, I wasn't with Jesus. Why? Because Peter was scared that he'd be crucified alongside of Jesus. And so here comes John. And now John, who, who everybody knew, man, you don't look in the Gospels and see Jesus without John, hardly ever. John sat next to Jesus at the upper room at that last supper. And, 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 and the Bible says he was, he was so close that he could lean on Jesus' shoulder. But now he has to stand at the cross. Hearing everybody else say, why don't we crucify that man? He's been with them. He's one of them, them Jewish uh, 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 heretics. He's, he's one of those that followed Christ. Let's string him up too. I wonder if John kind of said, man, I wish I'd have been the one to grab the sword. 
I wouldn't have missed like Peter did. I'd have just killed it. We'd be all saved by now. But years later, I mean years later, seeming a whole lifetime had gone by. That same John wrote in John chapter or First John chapter one verse nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Judas didn't get to this place. Peter, it took a while, but Peter finally did experience the the forgiveness of Jesus. But John stands there at the cross and he sees the Lord look down on him and he realizes that I've been forgiven. He realized the restoration. He realized all of that, even the rebuke. But now... The Lord says, John, you've been at the cross. I'm going to give you some responsibility. John chapter 20, verse 21 says, As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. John had an interesting place for the remainder of his life. I'm not trying to make a theology out of this, but but John took the place of Jesus with Mary. Jesus looked down and said, John, i got to go away. And Mary is going to miss me. And Mary is going to desire that relationship with her son, if you will. So, John, I need you to become a surrogate son. Take care of her. Her husband's dead. She, she's, she's a widow. She's not going to be able to make a lot of money. She'll die if you don't provide for her. Can I tell you today that in a a small sense that responsibility is the same for you and I today. Jesus said, I've got to go away. But I'm going to leave somebody here that can represent me on earth. Who's going to be my hands? Who's going to be my feet? Who's going to walk into a neighborhood? Who's going to walk into a a, a restaurant? Who's going to walk into a, a, a workplace? Who's going to represent me? you kneel at the cross there's a responsibility that you and I have to carry won't you stand with me today I hear that song again near the cross near the cross first I would like to tell you that the if you've never trusted in the Lord if you've never let him Take away your sins if you've never been filled with His Spirit. It's what Acts chapter 2 verse 38 says. You've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission, the removal of your sins. You need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you've never experienced that, then the first thing you need to do when you come to the cross is see that it's a place of redemption. That's where you start. You start by saying, Lord, you died for me. You died so that I might have life and that more abundantly. And so, Lord, I'm going to stand at the cross and I'm going to watch that blood and I'm going to remember the sacrifice that you went. Lord, I'm asking right now, would you let the blood that you shed, that sacrifice of sin, that Lamb of God that was slain from the foundations of the world, Lord, would you let that sacrifice be for me? Cleanse me, wash me. I want to be new. I want to be saved. You need the cross place of redemption for some of you that have experienced that salvation but 
life gets in the way and I'm not saying you're backslidden I'm not saying that you've you you, you you know you're already in hell and that's not what I'm talking about but sometimes even though we've been saved life comes in and that pride and that selfishness and that me first attitude begins to rise again some of us we need to step back into the place of the cross and we need to say God rebuke me again Lord move on me again God let me hear your word again preach to me again Lord until it fades away and I can see you and you alone Lord all I need is you for some of you you've been struggling for some of you you've been questioning is it really worth it is this all going to matter? How, why? I've lived my life and I'm not seeing anything. I want you to stand today at the foot of the cross and realize there's a reward for you. A reward that you've received because if you struggle with Him, if you have to go through the, the trials that He went through, then you'll be restored. But all of us have to come through the cross. And I'm going to invite you not to stay at the cross. I love the cross, I love the presence of God, but I'm inviting you to pick up that mantle of responsibility and hear the words of that great commission, go, go, go into the world and be Jesus. Show them Jesus. Show them His healing power. Show them His redemptive power. Show them His love. Show them His compassion. As Jesus ministered to others, so must we. The cross, a place of redemption, a place of rebuke, a place of reward, and a place of responsibility. I want you to close your eyes right now. Father, we've been in your presence. We feel your glory. We feel your touch. But Lord, I don't know exactly where each person is in their journey. So God, I've, I've preached a broad message that has four possible places. And for some of us, we may find ourselves at multiple avenues. For some of us, we need both the rebuke and the responsibility.